Welcome to Ellas, a bi-weekly podcast made by Latinas for Latinas. I talk with talented, inspiring, and empowering women that are living their dreams and making a path for the next generation. I'm Brenda hernandez Caimes, and this is Ellas. Hello, welcome back to Ellas. I'm Brenda hernandez Caimes, and on the 15th episode, I'm so happy to present today's guest. I'm a big fan of hers. She's the best content creator of our age and a voiceover actor for a Cartoon Network show, Victor and Valentino. Welcome, Jenny Lorenzo. Hi, thank you so much for having me and for coming over all the way over here. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for uh, you know inviting me to your home. It's so beautiful. I love your art wall. And... You know, I'm so honored to have you here on Ellas because, you know, Ellas is about showcasing Latina's story and their career and just inspiring the future generation to continue on their career paths. And I wanted to ask you, you know, here in Ellas, I always love to start with the question of before you decided to create your content, to go on to voice acting, can you share your childhood how was it like in my uh, Miami and what motivated you to follow the path that you're on right now so I grew up in a very Cuban household <laughs> I'm Cuban on both sides um, multiple generations of Cuban heritage so I guess you can say I'm first generation because um, my parents were also born in Cuba and so I grew up with a lot of pride about being Hispanic and Cuban. Miami is very much a bubble. Uh, I went to school with a lot of people that looked like me, that thought like me, that talked like me. So um, I guess you can say I've learned a lot since moving out to LA and being surrounded by even more Latinos from different backgrounds. Though in Miami, there is a huge like mesh of people there. Lots of Venezolanos, Colombians, Nicaraguenses, Hondurans. Like basically like all my best friends come from a different Latino like, country, which is really cool, you know? So even in Miami, I was surrounded by a lot of that. So there it was very it's very common that Spanish is actually your first language. Mm -hmm. It's what that was my first language. And people interchange English and Spanish all the time. Like Spanglish really is like the language of Miami. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was a lot of fun, honestly, like everywhere you go, there's like cafecito, you go to a clinic, it's cafecito, cafecito everywhere, croquetas everywhere. Um, Miami people love to party. They love to celebrate every time like the heat wins or the Marlins, which is like very rare, but people go out to the streets with the pots, pots and pans. So it's a, it's a city with a lot of pride for their Latinidad. And, uh, I think that's why I have been so inspired to do what I do. Um, especially like being raised, I think a lot of Latinos can, um, relate is that my sister and I were also raised by my grandparents, my maternal grandparents. So my parents would be at work and we, sorry, spit, <laughs> my, the, um, my parents would be at work and my grandparents would take care of us. Pick, you know, my abuelo would pick me up from school. So it really was like living in between these two worlds at all times. You know, I go to school and I'm speaking English and I'm doing the whole, you know, American life thing. And then I'd come home and eat like arroz con huevo frito and, you know, picadillo con arroz, listening to my grandfather um, 
It's like a Cuban radio station called Radio Mambi. So I just hear him talking about Cuba all the time. Cubans will never stop talking about Cuba. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It was, it was, I think it was a good childhood. Uh, and I learned a lot and I'm bringing those experiences with me and what I do now. It's to your content. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I think you said something really true, what everything, and I especially I can relate to, you know, um, I grew up being raised by my maternal grandmother and speaking Spanish with her and then having to speak English at school and live in these two worlds. And what you do, I feel like your childhood really shapes your content that you create today. And when was that moment when you decided, you know what, I want to take this, my life as the life of many other Latinos here in Miami and produce it and create it? When was when did that come to your mind? Or was it later on when you moved here in LA? I kind of dabbled in it a little bit here and there because I grew up watching telenovelas. Mm-hmm. When you grow up wanting to be a comedian of any kind, you find the humor in everything. So I always found my abuela to be hilarious, all the viejitos in Miami to be hilarious, uh, with a lot of love, but they're characters. They truly are characters, the way they dress, the way they talk, the way they behave, their superstitions, their beliefs and so and Miami in general is a character like the city is a character so it's uh I was always keeping note of this you know and and I dabbled in some sketches here and there when I was in film school and stuff like that I did some telenovela parodies I I played around with the whole chonga stereotype because I even went through a chonga phase in the night it's like in high school that was the thing it was to be a chonga like, that's what was in style. The hoop earrings, the thick lip liner, the overly plucked eyebrows. It was insane. Um, so I always played around with this, but I didn't really go hard into making this content until I moved to L.A. And what happened was that I was working on a different channel for, like, about four years by the time I moved here, and it was all just geek-related content. So I did movie reviews, talked about video games and comics. I never really expressed my culture or anything in these videos. My audience was predominantly, like, white male. And towards the end of my time on that channel, I did start bringing out the Cuban in me, and I did bring out the Abuela character. Horrible character at the time, but... It started to happen there, and then when I moved to L.A. and I got the internship at BuzzFeed, I looked around me and I was like, wow, there's no... First of all, there was barely any Latinos working there. Second of all, no one was making Latino content at all. And BuzzFeed is a very, at least at the time, it was a very competitive environment. You had to prove yourself. So you have like different phases and this was back then i know they've changed since but when i was there it was you do an internship mine was a four-month internship instead of a three and then you go then you have to pass on to the fellowship that's the hardest time it's another three months it's very competitive and then you either get chosen or you don't get chosen to be a junior producer so you have to constantly be proving yourself, thinking out of the box. You have to prove that you can make viral content while also having a unique voice. Mm-hmm. So I met a girl in my internship class. Her name is Jasmine Ontiveros. She's a Bay Area girl, um, Mexican family. And we kind of teamed up. We were both like, there's nothing. Let's start this. We did hit a lot of bumps along the way. I know it's BuzzFeed, but... 
They were not very open. And when I say they, I'm talking more like people up top, Mm -hmm. um, that they didn't seem to really believe in us or the Latino audience or the content or all of it. So we were constantly having to prove ourselves and prove ourselves and prove ourselves. And there was times where like a boss of mine was like, you don't need to be that authentic. Like, it's okay. And I went, it was like a terrible time for me. I went home crying because it's a long story, but essentially he was trying to take that away from me. I was trying to make a Cuban food taste test and I wanted it to be as authentic and homey as possible. And he kind of like sabotaged the shoot. And I will never forget. He just looked at me in the face and he's like, you don't need to make it authentic though. Like it's whatever. Like he just treated it like it didn't matter. It didn't matter to the people. didn't matter to me. And I was, imagine like, you know how they say never meet your heroes? Mm-hmm. It's one of those things like never work for your like favorite. Yeah. Cause then you're, you know, but there were a lot of people on the ground with us that did believe in us. And eventually that's what helped us get better. Like, which I can't just mention Jasmine. That was also Norberto Briseños and Alex Alvarez, the, the four of us helped create better like but it wasn't easy so that's how it all started we're like this content is missing there needs to be more representation at the time i don't even think me too existed or if it did it was it was a totally different thing and then there was like flama and that's it yeah that's it and yeah i remember i it was i was still living in mexico and i was a big fan of buzzfeed and i have to admit the only reason why i was following buzzfeed was because of you curly and the other latino creators it's like wow when i moved to mexico that's when i get latino content <laughs> i felt that way i was like oh okay and i remember when you started better like and i was like wow finally i'm being spoken to i'm re- i love that all of you were talking about topics that you talk at home and with your fellow latino friends but you never hear it in media or you never hear it other in another place mm-hmm. so while you were there I, I really felt i was being represented and i was being i felt like part of you like part of the the friends and like all the things that were going in my head was being you know, spoken and it's really disappointing to hear that you know you had those bumps on the road in order to create that can you share with us maybe the highlights that you, you obviously better like and the growth of abuela is one of the highlights i feel but can you share more of that the, of the highlights and maybe the mistakes that you also kind of made that now incorporate into your work ethic and into your own um, content and try to avoid can you share any of that p- with us yeah so when i first brought abuela to better like what well, better like actually wasn't born yet so we were just testing out the waters and you know creating the content without the platform yet so obviously abuela has changed in many ways including in her appearance so i had a really crappy wig um when i was at buzzfeed and i i look back on it now and i'm like whoa i didn't even change my voice that much she wasn't that developed (laughs) but at the time buzzfeed didn't really when it came to the actors all the actors for the most part in those videos are producers and it was just more low-key, natural acting styles, people playing themselves. There were no characters. So my mistake was you start 
to figure out what the audience is going to be receptive to and what they're going to absolutely hate. So I released two videos that didn't go over well. The first one was an abuela video, but she didn't, like the character didn't speak. It was actually me and my fiance pretending to be the viejitos watching TV and the the meme was what your abuelos or something do now that Saulo Gigante is over. Mm-hmm. And of course, they, they start making out on the couch because now what do they do on a Saturday night? But since none of us spoke, it's just weird because my, my fiance is Peruvian, Puerto Rican. He has indigenous features. He looks Latino. I understand that I don't. Yet still, a lot of people thought there was like a non-Hispanic Caucasian behind that camera because all the comments were like, is this what you think of Latinos, BuzzFeed? You know, they're like, F you, and like all this stuff. And I could tell there was a sense of, like, they weren't trusting of that video. They're like, I bet a bunch of white people made this video. How insulting. But then the very next day, I released a video, another Abuela video, where she actually had lines in Spanish, and it was called, When Abuela Wants You to Eat. The comments were completely different. And I think... It's because they actually heard me speak in Spanish. And it's also because everything I was saying was so relatable Mm -hmm. that they're like, there's no way a white person was behind this this time. (laughs) So I think then the comments were just way more welcoming and like, oh my gosh, that's my abuela. Ha ha. Versus the horrible comments that we were getting before. And then another one was, I think it was like, again, it was one of my first ones. It was a fall video. It was one of more of those punchline jokey. um, It wasn't a full sketch. And I made the mistake in the title by saying Latinos in the fall be like instead of Miami people in the fall be like because it was my my friend who's white with her little Starbucks pumpkin spice latte and then it like whip pants like whoosh, and then it's like my Cuban friends like ding ding ping ping with like the cafetera and the little coffee and I'm like duh not all Latinos are like this. They're not about the cafecito life. They don't dance merengue randomly. And because Caribbean culture is a whole different ball game, right? Yeah. So I should have made it more specific. So it's these little, so people got really upset at that video too. They're like, that's not how we are. That's not how all Latinos are. So you start to learn how to title things mm-hmm. when it's okay to say Latinos, where you know, okay, everyone's going to relate to this, even beyond Latinos, right? Or if it's too specific to a culture like Miami, then I put Miami so that people are, they'll enjoy it from afar and go, okay, well, she's not trying to say that, you know, all Latinos Latinos are like this. You just learn along the way. And that's why I do read the comments. A lot of people, a lot of YouTubers and stuff, they don't read the comments because I get it, mental health and trolls and everything. But I think if you're making identity-based content especially surrounding like your culture or your identity of you know lgbtq etc you you should read the comments because you need to know if the audience is relating to it if they think you're authentic if they are receiving it in a positive light more so than negative because if it's overwhelmingly negative you're definitely doing something wrong and you need to you need to work towards changing it i'm happy to hear that you do read the comments and that along the way you try to improve and avoid those mistakes of yes like um offending people and 
because I feel like the Latino community has been offended for so many years. And just by having that specific Cubans be like, or, you know, Latinos be like, or Mexicans be like, that's, it may be small, but so big to us. Yeah. And you were saying how Abuela, by speaking Spanish, they were like, oh, yes, a Latino, you know, wrote this. They were, they were behind. And going back, I feel that's on the same level of Cuban food and how you were so focused and passionate about it had to be authentic. As a creator, when you put that passion in making it authentic, I feel the viewers notice that. And did BuzzFeed take a long time to realize that those small details were important? And I guess if you can share with us, how was that you realizing like, you know what, my content is too precious and it's not going to grow here. Can you share with us the reason of you leaving BuzzFeed and deciding to go to Me Too and then kind of making your content, making Abuela Laritza your own and not having it be owned by someone else? Well, I guess you don't know what happened to me, but I was fired because I acted in a web series, which is now about to be a real series on Netflix called Hentified, and it's about gentrification in Boyle Heights. Um, the web series and now television series is produced and created by a good friend of mine, Marvin Lemus. Um, and at the time, I was, we had lost two of our founders of Better Like. They had already gone over to Me Too. And, you know, Pero Like was too precious for me because it was just born. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and so it was literally just me, Claudia, Curly, and Jessica. We were still struggling. We were not given the resources we needed. We always felt like the underdogs at the company. And again, we had a lot of wonderful people on the ground floor supporting us. If not, Better Life wouldn't have been born to begin with. So there's always good people at every company. It's just, it was an issue at the very top, you know? And I just felt like we were still in a place where we had to constantly prove ourselves. So, you know, right before I got fired, um, I was carrying a lot on my shoulders. Oh, yeah. And then Gadiel was also there because I had helped bring Gadiel on board because we needed more Afro-Latino representation and we didn't have any Dominicans. So... We were all working ourselves to the bone. You know, Gadiel was still just learning how to edit. And like Curly, you know, was brought on to Pero like from working on the Snapchat team. So people were still learning, not, you know, and we were trying to figure this out. Um, back then we had a video quota. So our quota was about every producer had to make four videos a month. I was making between nine and 11 videos a month. I was essentially killing myself. And I think, I think it's because I was so scared that they were going to take Pero Like away from us if we didn't prove ourselves worthy enough in the numbers department. Mm -hmm. Our page and channel was not going to grow if we didn't have the content. So I was constantly churning, churning, churning content out. And this is a horrible sob story, but what the reality is is that I, in the midst of all this, I had to go to Miami because my grandfather wasn't doing well. Long story short, both of my grandparents died within five days apart. I did miss their funerals because when I, I was there for two weeks and I went back to LA to get back to work. 
thankfully, you know, my boss at the time, she was very understanding and all that. Um, but that's why I had to miss their funerals. Like, and while I was in Miami, I was still editing. Like I was in the hospital editing my videos. It was one of the hardest times of my life because here's my grandfather dying. At the time, I didn't even know my grandma, my grandma out of heartbreak died. Um, <laughs> they were very much attached and I'm, I'm editing and shooting comedy videos while these tragedies are happening around me. So, but while I was in, in town, I get a phone call. Oh, Hey, um, they want to talk to you when you come back because the time that I was in Miami, um, the trailer for Hentified, the web series started going viral and I was in the trailer and so was America Ferreira, who I didn't even know was attached to the project um, when I filmed. Because my scene was actually a very small, quick scene. Um, it took like an hour to shoot. No big deal. I didn't think I was going against my contract. You know, these contracts are so difficult to understand and read. They don't provide you with a lawyer. I couldn't afford a lawyer. Um, I didn't have a manager at the time. So I didn't have any protection. And when you sign these contracts, nobody sits with you to explain. Um and obviously I've learned my lessons since, right? Now I have a lawyer, now I have a manager, like everything gets read over and over again. But I had just moved from Miami to LA. I didn't have knowledge of this. I just wanted to create, it was my first salary job. Um, so all of this was just a big deal to me. So when I was, um, when I told the creator of Hentified that I would gladly take on the role, I didn't think I was doing any, I was going against BuzzFeed policy in any way, because when you think of the words non-compete, I thought it meant I couldn't do anything that directly competed with BuzzFeed, like Me Too, or like The Fine Bros, or Flama, right? I didn't think a web series. And I only, and I, my, the way my brain like worked this through was like, okay, well, this is only going to make BuzzFeed look better. It's an empowering script and series around Latinos. It, you know, why not? And so of course, when I come back, when I came back from my Miami trip and the whole tragedy, I get fired. So that was nuts. So that's how I was able to go to Me Too so quickly because two of the founders of Beto Like were already there. So they're like, girl, just come on over. And I got the job like in less than a month. So that's what happened. It was actually not by choice. It was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. But things happen for a reason. And here I am. So I still love my Pedro-like family. We still work together. Like we're, we're always talking on panels together. They actually just at Nalip awarded the women of Pedro-like um, with the trailblazer award and they included me in that, you know, so I'm still part of the family. I don't hold grudges against all the awesome people that are there and that were always there for me. You know what I mean? Just things happen for our listeners who are, you know, interested in creating their content. And I feel we're living in an age where we have to produce and like, uh, yes, put on content constantly in that moment of editing videos and you know your grandfather was in the hospital what are the mistakes well maybe the things that now that you've lived through that would that you if you had the opportunity to go back or or move forward try to avoid would you not kill yourself to do nine videos and take that time to focus on family to focus on you but i i understand that on the same time you have to produce these videos because 
you're representing your community. You're representing a community that hasn't been spoken to. So it's, how do you, for, for our listeners who are interested in doing content, how do you find that balance? Have you found that balance? Uh, I have not, I mean, I've learned to listen to my body more because when I actually moved to LA, I got diagnosed with Crohn's disease. So it's been an up and down, uh, journey with that. I've had to change my diet, my lifestyle. Um, you know, I'm about to be 33 in October. So I'm not who I used to be. I'm not that 20 year old that can live off of like potato chips and cream cheese and going to bed at seven in the morning and starting all over again. You know, that's who I used to be. I'm still a workaholic, but now that I have my own channel and everything, I'm my own boss. Mm -hmm. So I just make sure that I, if I'm tired, I'm tired and I have to stop editing. It only gets stressful when I work with a brand or something where there is like, that's a true deadline that I cannot miss. But when it comes to my videos, I know that a lot of content creators have their strict scheduling and everybody, people that work at YouTube and Facebook will tell you it's actually a lot better to have a schedule that your audience is used to. They'll treat it like television. Oh, she posts every Tuesday at 9 a.m. But that's something that I simply cannot do and I cannot promise. And that's never been me. I've been, I I have some good streaks. Well, I'll release a video every Monday. But it was really taking a toll on my mental health and my physical health. At the end of the day, your audience is going to stick by you. You do have to remain consistent. I'm not saying to post once a month unless you're one of those channels that does really outlandish content that takes months to, to edit. But if it's like sketch comedy or vlogs and, you know, stuff like that, you can definitely at least produce two videos a month. That is something I still stand by. You have to be posting. Um, and if you're not posting a video, you ha- it's, it is, it's daunting, right? Cause a lot of folks are like, Oh, you do all your own. I'm like, yes, I run all my own. So I'm not Ellen DeGeneres. I don't, <laughs> I don't have people hiring people to run my social media. Um, so I am the one that responds to everyone. I am the one running all of my platforms, which is predominantly Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Um, and it's always like, okay, like I'm going to do this. I'm going to post this photo. I'm going to do that. Like try to, you know, be entertaining even when there's not a video out. Uh, so it, it is, I'm telling you, I don't think it's something that it's personality by personality. I'm very disorganized. Um, I'm pretty sure I have ADD. I've never been officially diagnosed, but my friends with ADD tell me you have ADD. And so, but I have like high functioning anxiety and possibly high functioning ADD, but I'm very disorganized. I'm kind of like a tornado where I will completely like, whether it's on my desktop or my room, I will make a mess and I won't be able to get to cleaning it until like the end of the week. Because I have to keep going and going and going. So I leave a mess behind. That's how I've always been. Not that I'm proud of it. And I'm trying to figure it out. So I think it's okay to not have it all figured out. People like me, people like other content creators are going to make it look easy. Mm-hmm. Because all you see is the end product, really. Um, <laughs> but it is difficult. But you just have to keep rolling with it that's all it is. Like you're, you might not be doing things perfectly and all, you know, neat and tidy, but as long as you get it done, you can keep trying to figure out the rest. Then you moved to me too. 
you're there and i i have to admit i followed you to me too thanks but i i was as you know many of people that you know love your content I was, you know, in a dilemma because I was not in agreement with some of the things that Me Too produced. And I felt, I was like, I was so disappointed. It's a Latino media company and they're, they're like furthering the stereotype of us Latinos. And I was so angry, but I was like, I'm here for Jenny. I'm, you know, if she does her videos, I'm going to, you know, support her. But it was, I was in the battle as a, you know, viewer can you share your experience? You know, it, obviously it was it was a it was a great moment for you to work there because you were still producing your videos. Share the highlights of it, and then maybe you were in a dilemma working there too, and maybe also the mistakes that you made and the lessons that you learned, and also try to avoid in your current time right now. Yeah, I mean, obviously, me joining Me Too wasn't a happy time for me. Not nothing against Me Too. It was like. I just got plucked away from my work family, my dream job, pero like that I helped build. And so it almost felt like I lost my family and I was like transported to another country and I had to like it was weird. Like I I was in a haze, I'll be completely honest. I think I was at me through for like a year and 8 months or something like that. I was in a haze most of that time. I don't think I had to go to therapy of course, to like try to get over what happened. I never got to properly mourn the death of my grandparents because I had to just jump right into survival mode. And what the great that came out of joining me too was that Abuela started to develop even more. So I went and got a new wig. Um, you know, I, I had more freedom at me too in the sense that they really treasured me as a producer. So the work-life balance there was a lot more present than it was at BuzzFeed. BuzzFeed was work, 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 especially with Beto like and having to prove yourself. No one's telling you to work past work hours, but that's just kind of a thing you have to do yeah. if you're an underdog and you have something to prove. So um, Me Too let me, um, the folks at Me Too let me work from home a lot because at the end of the day, we didn't have big studio space to shoot like at buzzfeed buzzfeed we had we had sets we had designers we had all these like people at our disposal me too was a little smaller did not have those resources so they understood that a lot of my content had to do with the home mm -hmm. and thus i had to shoot in my apartment a lot so they were totally cool with me working from home a lot because i got the work done you know and then eventually i got my sister to work over at me too then my friend laura started working at me too and there's a lot of like great producers there we're still great friends um but like you there was some things that i wasn't on board with that confused me um that i didn't agree with and i think that's just something that happens at every company because there were things that i didn't agree with either at buzzfeed right um digital media right now is like the, the wild wild west so a lot of mistakes are being made. Um, I mean, even with what happened to me, now they completely changed. Now the producers have more freedom at BuzzFeed. Now they have a system if they wanted to. Back when I was at BuzzFeed, I wasn't allowed to audition. I wasn't allowed to have a manager or an agent or book any outside gigs. Clearly, look what happened to me. But there was no system of like, hey, can I do this? 
now they have like an email system they can take on brand deals they can take they can work on different sets and Mm -hmm. the environment and the rules have changed dramatically at buzzfeed since i was there as it is (laughs) obvious so that's happening at all the digital media companies i have friends now like you know after buzzfeed folks that have left have now gone on to work at like hello giggles awesomeness tv you know uh the me too like all these my brain is freezing right now because there's so many digital media companies that i can't even like start listing all of them but they all have their own individual complaints either it's a work-life balance thing either it's a freedom thing of you know uh contracts there's so much there you know there's a lot of talk about these companies trying to unionize it's a lot it gets tricky it's murky but at the same time i understand because it's such a new medium Mm -hmm. that mistakes are bound to happen and there's a lot of growing pains so i'm aware of that um but because of that because of everything i went through at buzzfeed and the things that I wasn't so thrilled about at Me Too, like for instance, I was I was able to keep my abuela character uh, because I had developed her before BuzzFeed and I had proof. That's the only you know reason. But at Me Too, I was very much scared to develop other characters because that at that point I was like they can keep the character, and I was you know taking classes at Groundlings and my teachers were like, do not give away your characters. It's one thing to go to SNL and let them keep your characters because it's SNL. A digital media company, no. So that's why eventually I started to grow really tired. I felt like a one-trick pony. Abuela, 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 abuela. And I was almost embarrassed because I didn't want people thinking that that's all I had. Mm -hmm. That all I knew was an abuela character. So I had a manager. I actually got my manager, Brandon right after what happened to me at BuzzFeed. And he was always looking out for me and he said, you need to leave. He's like, I guarantee you, you're going to be okay. My biggest worry has always been finances. I went through so much financial hardship in my 20s. And, you know, again, I don't come from a rich family. So I don't have a safety net. You know, I have a lot of friends that they're, you know, they... Their parents pay for their rent. Their parents pay for... I love my parents. They sacrificed a lot for my sister and I. And we were blessed in many ways. But they're not going to come to the rescue if I don't have rent money. You know what I mean? So it's a little terrifying, especially with an autoimmune disease too, which my health is expensive in and of itself. So my biggest fear was like going back to retail, being broke, going and, you know, being in debt. It took me such a long time to fix my credit, you know, and I was, you know, I was, I was making a nice salary. I had benefits and all that. And I was like my little bubble, but I was not happy. I think I was genuinely, I'm not one to have depression. It's always been anxiety, but I felt sad. And I think people could sense it. Even my sister, like, they're like, why is Jenny never in the office? And I just think I just didn't want to be, I wanted to just work for myself I have so many friends that just make a living doing content on their own. I was like, if they can do it, why can't I? But my manager was really the person who was like, 
trust me, you're going to be fine. And he was right. I've been freelance for almost two years. And when I say freelance, I guess that's like a wrong term because I don't work for other people. I just work for myself. <laughs> yeah. You have your like contracts with other companies, you know, you do that, but you're still producing on your own schedule. Yeah. And you've been, you know, I, I, I do see you as a freelance, you know, independent content creator and for the last two years. And I feel like you, thanks to you taking that leap, your characters have, Abuela has been developed so beautifully and that's when I started to see more characters like Laritza yeah. and you're now doing your show on Facebook. You know, the, you know, the trailer, was it like a teaser? Yeah. The, the Facebook thing was, it was like an educational program. They, Facebook has, Facebook's my biggest platform. It's my biggest audience. The folks at Facebook really look after me. They're amazing. And so they, uh, have, provided me with more tools so in these two years of you being a freelance content creator and an independent content content creator how has it, how has the journey been like um you know you, you have your manager that is guiding you how do you decide which platforms you are going to create um with which you know come um brands you're going to work with and i guess when did you decide to fully develop, develop and create new characters and you starting to represent your Cuban Miami community? Because I feel before in BuzzFeed, it was like, oh, Latinos be like, and maybe Cubans be like, you know, but now I feel like you're more proud of, and you're more focused on representing your Cuban community. And yeah. well, at these bigger companies, it was, um, a bigger responsibility I think people were under the impression that, oh, it's BuzzFeed. Oh, it's Me Too. They must have like 40 producers. Nope. Again, Beto, like even today, is still very small. Um, Me Too was very small. And it's it's hard because not all of us are from every single Latin American cr country. So we had to do a lot of research. We had to reach out to a lot of people. And there's a bigger responsibility to represent all Latinos. And not that that's not my goal right now. I still like to think that even though I've injected more of my Miami-ness into my characters and, and stories, I want people to still relate to it. Mm -hmm. Like, I'll throw in very specific things like inside jokes and stuff like that, Miami-isms. But I, I am very aware or careful not to be too Miami. Because mm -hmm. I don't want that to just be my only audience. Yeah. So... And with all the characters, that's just something I've been dying to do forever. You know, again, I felt so restricted just playing Abuela over and over again that these characters were all living inside of me. And I'm like, no, they need to come out. And so they're all based on real people um, that I grew up around. La Peluquera, her, like, daughter. Like, they're culminations of people that I knew in Miami. The Tia Gloria, she's based on not, not an aunt of mine, but of someone in my family that... Um, had very similar traits. And again, it's usually just a culmination. It's not based on just one person. It's a culmination of people that are like this person, you know? So, and I have a lot of fun with it. And what's great is that I'm writing stuff based on my experiences. And it's awesome to see other Latinos and other people. They don't have to be Latino 
reaching out and going, oh my God, my, my like, you know, Nicaraguan mom is, is like this, my Jewish grandma, my Italian grandma, um, my Haitian grandma. It's, so I do still try to keep the themes wide enough that it's relatable. And it's, it, that's why it's so important to really be authentic and specific because I know in Hollywood and media, that's still something that the folks up top are trying to like accept and wrap their minds around because, you know, I, I don't know how people feel about this term, but like whitewashing or like watering something down so that everyone can understand you are doing a major disservice to not only the audience that you're trying to represent, but then like the outsiders who are trying to learn about your culture and they're getting a watered down version. How is that fair? And so that happens so much to Latinos. It's like, oh, black shows can be unapologetically black, you know, but then why can't Latinos be that way? And I know it took a long time for black people to get here and they're still struggling. Uh, I know Asians are also struggling. I've, I've recently been watching like Fresh Off the Boat and this Canadian show about a Korean family called Kim's Convenience. I freaking love that show. And I'm not Korean and I don't live in Canada. <laughs> But it's like the mom and dad have such similar traits to like a Cuban mom and dad. That's why so many Latinos loved my big fat Greek wedding. We're not Greek. You know, big family, a big family of, you know, uniting and being so outrageous and focused on yeah. having this great, amazing wedding. It was so Latino. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, you don't eat meat. And like all this, like, there's so many similarities when the, a lot of the, like the immigrant experience is what really ties us all together. So even if I don't get every single Asian joke or black joke, I'm still going to super relate to it. You know, I grew up watching mostly like black sitcoms in the 90s and i think it's because caribbean culture in general miami culture in general is very much tied mm -hmm. to, to um afro latinos yes it's part of the culture um so that's why i loved watching martin and fresh prince of bel-air and like you know and i hope that makes sense um, because all we had at the time was like George Lopez and this show called Que Pasa USA. And that didn't, that wasn't really, it didn't connect with certain people, with certain Latinos like myself. I didn't see myself represented in George Lopez, actually. No, no. That's really interesting. That's another conversation, Jenny. <laughs> but it's, the episode is focused on all, you. But that's all we had. Because yeah. I wasn't, because as you know, the George Lopez show was half Mexican, half Cuban family because mm -hmm. his wife, his ex-wife now is Cuban. Mm -hmm. So that, that's probably one of the things I love the most about the show is that it was a mixed Latino, um, family, family which you don't see a lot of. Um, but I guess at the time when I was watching it, I didn't really have the privilege of thinking, do I fully relate to this? Because that's all we had. So I don't know, like... Yeah. You know, Que Pasa USA was the show that I related to the most because that was truly one of the most authentic shows I've ever seen representing Cubans in Miami. But it's because the show was a PBS show. It didn't have these Hollywood people up yeah. top breathing down the creator's neck. It was actually a, an educational series that was meant to help Cubans assimilate to um, Miami when they came over. And I didn't even know that, but the creator said it was an educational series. You watch it, you would have never guessed it because it's a hilarious Spanglish show. But now it makes sense. He goes, I don't know if that kind of show is still even possible today because it was so specific 
and bilingual that, you know, it's, it's still tough for Latinos to not have that person breathing down your neck going, yeah, but maybe less Spanish or maybe, maybe don't Mm -hmm. say that. Or maybe the grandma at the end of the day, my grandparents were not perfect. They had their beliefs. They're very old school, you know, and I like shows that kind of call you out through comedy. You don't have to be overly woke woke or on the nose about things. I think like even um, All in the Family, Archie Bunker was freaking racist and they did a lot of crossovers with the Jeffersons. But we all know that the, sh- the show's not trying to say, be racist. It's like we see that Archie Bunker is flawed. And we make fun of him in a sense. We're like, yes, being racist is wrong. It's like The Office. People talk about The Office as if, oh, The Office would never fly today because it's so not woke. You know, Michael Scott says so many inappropriate things that can count as sexual harassment, um, homophobia, racist. But it's like you still love the character. And it's because... We're laughing at him. We know he's wrong through the lens of the other characters. You know, they're like, and I think that that is something that I want to bring into, like, I hope someday I do get a show because I want to showcase the great aspects of our culture, but also the negative Mm -hmm. through comedy where it's like, yeah, the abuela might be a little racist sometimes, or she might be a little like, I guess sexist in that like she coddles the boy and not the girl. The girl has to clean. And it's just these double standards in Latino families exist. And it's fun. Let's make fun of it while also learning Mm -hmm. that it's not cool. But we can still laugh through it and at it. Yeah. Yeah. And learn. And I feel like your recent videos um you know you 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 sparkle a bit of that of like hey abuelas might be a little problematic you know yes. her comments you know and i love that you know because it's finally you know we get to see that it's the things that we see at home and like oh maybe what my abuela said was was not that okay or what my uncle said is not okay so thank you for creating your videos because for example, I was like, while you were saying about these um, 90s, 2000 Latino shows, for example, Netflix of um, The Get Down. Oh, I loved it, but it was canceled, you know, yeah. or other shows like On the Block, you know, it's like they're barely struggling because they're, they're not being paid like the 13 Reasons Why actors. Yeah. And now that, you know, we covered your content creating, I want and you, I feel like you're making a change through Cartoon Network. Can you share that moment when... Obviously, I feel like you always wanted to be a voice actor because, you know, your your characters have different voices. And But when was that moment where you're like, you know what, I'm going to take a chance and just start focusing on improving my voice and going to see, you know, my chances and if I get hired for a voiceover actor? And how was that like? When can you share that moment where you were hired from Cartoon Network and, you know, share with our viewers who... Don't watch Cartoon Network. What can they expect of Victor and Valentino? So it's funny how this happens, you know, because I've been wanting to be a voice actor since I was young. Like my early 20s is when it really hit me. I'm like, I should, I really want to do voice acting. I love cartoons. I still watch cartoons. I, one of my favorite shows of all time is like Adventure Time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was a big like Disney Nickelodeon kid, Cartoon Network, Adult Swim. So I'll never forget, I've, I've gone to conventions, like anime, comic book conventions since my early 20s, and 
I used to go to my local convention in Miami and they would always bring voice actors. And one of my favorite voice actors, Rob Paulson, who's voiced so many of our childhood favorites. Um, he's voiced in Animaniacs, Pinky and the Brain, Ninja Turtles, like the old one and the new one. Um, he's all over the place. That man has voiced just about everybody. And something I noticed across the board um, with voice actors, and this includes him, is that they're so nice and humble. The industry has not affected them in any way. They're kind of living the dream in that they're on TV. They're playing these beloved characters, but they're also under the radar. And they get to go to work looking like whatever the hell they want. And I think that's why they're so happy. There's like this like weird, they're so happy and they're so cool and, and again, down to earth. And I, you know, I remember walking up to him and, you know, we talked for a little bit. I told him that I wanted to be a voice actor. And then at the end of it, he like gave me a big hug and he said, I hope to voice with you someday. And I never let that go. And the one thing across the board that they all told me was like, you have to move to LA. They're like, no matter where you're from, that's where it's at. And at the time I never thought that I would ever move to LA or afford LA to me. It was like a long, far off dream. Um, and so when I moved here, I immediately started taking voice acting classes and I have a friend um, in Miami. His name is Kiki Valdez and he, he's an entrepreneur and an artist. He has the Abuela Mami subscription boxes and he went to art school with the creator of Victor Valentino, Diego Molano, who is, he's half Cuban, half Mexican Colombian from Miami, same city and like same, um, city where I was born, Hialeah. And Diego had, it's funny because Diego and I have gotten like closer recently and he's told me, no, I actually had seen your videos even before Kiki introduced me um, to you or reintroduced and he really liked the characters. He related to them because he, you know, he's, he's like, oh my God, your Maruchi character reminds me of my mom and, and all this stuff. And he told me he wanted to keep me in mind. And that's all I knew. Like we had like a quick chat. He's like, I, I really like you. If there's a role for you, I'll let you know. And the show is um, a Mexican-based show. Um, it takes place in Monte Macabro. And it's all about, like, the folklore and, like, Mesoamerican culture. Like, that's another aspect, again, that not everyone sees, much less in animation. And I remember watching the pilot to Victor and Valentino, and I was already dying. And I think the Chupacabra was in it. And I'm like, yes! Like, all these, like, caricatures and characters and... and you know, the abuelita and like how she's like really sweet one second and then she's screaming the next second. And then these two like, you know, brothers and how, you know, I, and again, I'm not Mexican, but I related so hard to this. And so I got really lucky in that Diego created this character named Lupe who he wanted to sound sort of like a Tony Montana, like this villain, um, because of an episode called Churro Kings. And she's, she's a kid in the neighborhood. She's like, you know, kind of like early teens and she, she's a friend, but also a bully. So it's like weird, yeah. you know, she's a little pesada. But we all have that. I feel like every kid has that, that type of yeah. friend. Yeah. Like, so she's not a villain. It's just, she's kind of introduced in the series as a villain. And then now she's just a kid that plays along and is with, you know, hangs out with everybody, but she's pesada and she has a hot temper. Um, and I thought that was so cool that he was like, let's make this character 
Cuban, essentially, because I'm voicing her the way that I am. And I've also been able to voice other characters, like I voiced a villain and stuff. So I'm really excited about that. And he he truly is making waves for Latinos in animation because there really isn't much. And... Like, the dude is so creative and talented, and he knows the voice. Like, he has those inside jokes down-packed. And I know it's not easy for any creator, of course, when you first start something, you have to prove yourself, and then eventually you get to really throw your voice in there. Um, so I'm really looking forward to seeing the show develop even more now that it was um, renewed for a season two. I really hope that kids... Look, I'm a, I'm 32, and I love watching cartoons. I think Victor Valentino is a show that you can watch as an adult and still laugh because there's so many, like, like in one of the beginning episodes, there was a character that basically alludes to Juan Gabriel, you know, and, like, there's, like, quinceañera and, like, chur, like, all these pieces of our culture that you don't have to be Mexican to even understand and laugh about because a lot of these are universal themes, and not, but then you get to still learn about these tales and the cultures and um especially them being indigenous right so major kudos to him i'm super emocionada that my character is cuban i never heard a cuban accent on an animated series before like other than like jim carrey in the mask pretending to you know do cuban pete or something like that's it so i'm like whoa this is really awesome and i myself am trying to like create my own animated series so we'll see (laughs) i'm hoping that it's not easy i know it's not easy uh i don't expect it to be easy (laughs) so but you gotta try yeah you know that's all we can do is try so hopefully one day i'll have my own animated series and it's great that you're talking about your future projects because you're from from what i've saw you know seeing your content and right now talking with you i feel you take that leap you take even though you're afraid and like of the unknown you know but you aren't afraid to stay with the what if and i feel that you're taking control into your own hands and creating and producing the content that we've all been waiting for for so many years where do you see your content growing and going to and i know you mentioned the cartoon can you share with us many maybe confirmed projects that we might be seeing in the, by the end of the year or maybe next year? So this year has been more of an experimental year. I can't say I'm necessarily... I'm very hard on myself. I can't say I'm necessarily proud of the content I've made this year only because it didn't go viral. And I know that's terrible. And I mean, viral to my standards, right? I always like to do better than I did last year. There's a lot that I've accomplished this year that is bigger than what I did last year. Like, again, my my debut on Cartoon Network, my pilot with Facebook, you know, so I can't hate on myself too much, but... You're, you're in conferences like Disney Voices. You can't... Don't be... Voices, don't be hard on yourself, please. I know. I'm, like, I'm the worst. Um, it's, it's that I know what I'm capable of. I know what me and my little team are capable of doing, and... This year was more of a year of trying to do more episodic or narrative 
pieces that don't necessarily go viral they don't necessarily share well but people have really invested their time in the characters and they're like oh my god like now we know more about abuela's backstory now we know more maruchi's so it's not bad at the end of the day it's not bad i know that this is only good for me if i want to have a show someday beyond animated series i want to have an actual um either a sketch comedy show or a, a sitcom a single cam so these narratives are a must figuring out the characters backstories having longer videos it's a must despite the fact that they don't do super well numbers wise and i have to get over that and it's like a constant reminder but you know my my writing partner co-director and i uh kevin primo kevin <laughs> he we always talk um about this and we're like okay you know we're gonna go hard for Halloween content and Christmas content like we always do. We're going to try to do these more relatable, you know, one-off themes. So, because that is how you grow. That's the thing. It's in order to grow, you need to have those viral hits every now and then. And the growth only helps you get seen by more people. It helps you when it comes to brands reaching out and wanting to work with you. So it is a survival thing at the same time. Uh, but the audience is always most important to me i want to make sure that they're laughing and they're having a good time and that they're relating to it so that's what this year was mostly about like collaborating with other people the narrative stuff long form like again the the pilot we did for facebook which we're now gonna be we're gonna basically wait until after the holidays to then really flesh out the rest of the series and film it and the whole nine so it's not going anywhere we wanted to see how it did um, before deciding whether we were going to go through with the mini series or not. Mm -hmm. But I am, that's what I'm, I really am trying to work towards television. I just really feel, it's like I'm ready and I'm not ready, right? Because I know half the time I'm like, what am I doing? All I know is that I, I know I have the voice and I know with the proper help and, and the right network, we can make something really awesome happen. But at the end of the day, it comes down to finding that one person or people that believe in you, just like at Buzzfeed. If it wasn't for those select people, better like wouldn't have been born and they wouldn't be thriving like they are today. So that's what it takes. You know what I mean? Um, again, even Diego, he like, he was, he was working in animation for a long time before he got Victor Valentino. It's just, you gotta keep, going yeah. and throwing darts at the wall just like keep you know put your hand in as many buckets or hats i don't know michael scotting this i'm ruining the, the the saying but you just have to keep trying until something sticks you know yeah. and for our young listeners that you know, want to get into comedy, want to get into voice acting, want to create their content that speaks to their community, what advice would you give them that you would have loved to have but weren't given to and that you learned on your journey? I've learned a lot of things on, on my journey. I would say believe in yourself and find a team of people that believe in you. So if it wasn't, you know, for Kevin and Christina, Christina's my DP, we're like this awesome little team and we create this content together and they're just they're they're not only my crew but they're good friends of mine i think that's so important um 
And I know it's not always easy. There's a lot of people that I've met when I've talked on panels and stuff, and they tell me, how do I find a team? You know, to me, there's a variety of ways. You might have other friends that are interested in doing something like that. I would say definitely get together with them and figure something out. There's Facebook groups. There's also film school. I know that's not feasible for everyone, but, or classes, like that's how you form your communities. That's how things just happen naturally. And I've known Christina and Kevin since my Miami days. Like Christina used to shoot my videos in Miami and I just got very lucky that they moved out here. But even at my place of work, like I've met so many creative people at BuzzFeed, at different classes, voice acting classes, you start to create like a roster of people from varying backgrounds and talents. And when these people are good and genuine and care about the art, we do it because we love it and we help each other out. Obviously I have a Patreon and I pay, you know, my crew, um, but that's not how it started. You know what I mean? Like you just kind of do, collaborate. you know, you collaborate, you, you create content together. At the end of the day, it's building everyone's resumes and reels. Um, so that's so important. It's also about surrounding yourself around the right people. I have made many a mistake with, uh, being too open to people that ultimately did not have my best interest in mind and you have but it, it it's it is one of those experience things though because you're not going to walk around paranoid wondering is this person for real it's one of those unfortunate life things that you just learn along the way and you just sharpen your ability to see <laughs> whether someone's genuine or not if someone really cares about you or not um if they're trying to use you but that's just something else that's a pretty big deal. You want to just be careful about your circle of friends, especially in this industry. It gets a little crazy, and you don't want the wrong people hanging around. They, like, suck your energy and bring you down um, in ways that can really affect you, and you don't want that. You want to have, like, a really fun environment, a loving environment. Everyone's in it for the purpose of making a difference with the content. I know we're living in a weird time of like internet fame. I'm just never let that get to your head because I mean, look what happened to me. I got fired by my, by Buzzfeed it was my dream job. Anything can disappear in seconds. You can be a one hit wonder on the radio and then never be heard of again. You could be a big TV star, never be heard of again. You're always going to have to keep hustling. There's, I don't think there's, I don't care if you're J-Lo. There's no such thing as being on top of the world and nothing can shake you. There isn't because life is life. And so I think like really people need to practice being humble because truly, who are you? <laughs> I just, yeah. Not to be rude. We're all beautiful, special people. But at the same time, Go to, like, the Griffith Observatory and look at the galaxies and the stars and realize how small you really are. No one cares. <laughs> at the end of the day, you're something really small in this big, huge world. And Yeah, so don't be a rude, egotistical person. 
person, people are going to remember that. People are going to give you a chance, even if you're less qualified than the person who's more qualified, but they might not have the right attitude or might have a bad reputation. So your personality actually goes a really long way. And never be afraid to ask for help either. Because again, I've, from my own experiences, from other friends' experiences, even when I started BuzzFeed, I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah, I went to film school, but I forgot how to set up a C-stand. I didn't know how to edit on Premiere. I was a Final Cut editor. Yes, even as an adult, companies are still willing to help you and teach you you and guide you. you. Like, I see so many young people look on LinkedIn when they look for jobs, especially in this industry, but this applies to any job. They're always going to scare you with the terminology. Must have five years experience must you know need to da, 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 da. and i always tell people as long as you know your stuff and you're in that realm sure you might still lose it because you have two years of experience versus five but you never know <laughs> apply anyway mm-hmm. because i feel like they could be missing out on a major opportunity just because they got scared by the terminology that yeah. someone wrote up because that's just the standard the standard thing to write for any of these job listings a lot of these things are self-taught like never like we're living in a time where you can go on to youtube and look up anything and learn podcast yeah how to edit a podcast what's the right software what lights should i get or like you know lighting on a budget stand in front of a window there is where there's a will there's a way never let your budget your financial financial situation again i worked multiple jobs while doing my first channel it wasn't easy this is never going to be easy be prepared to feel some stress be prepared to cry be prepared to feel run down and people are going to judge you you might i i was very lucky that i had a supportive family not everyone's going to have a supportive family but at the end of the day you only have one life and also i'm open-minded i'm open to the fact that there might be multiple but we don't know that for sure so pretend live your life like it's just the one life and go for what you really want to do. I hate seeing talent go to waste because of people's parents putting them down, significant others, and get the heck out of that relationship, first of all, (laughs) if you're with someone that's not supporting your career. And just go all in. I guarantee you, you will succeed in one way or another, but you have to really go all in. I know I gave like a thousand tips in a very (laughs) sloppy manner, but there it is. (laughs) And I feel like we need to be told that repeatedly. So you're good. And it's so right what you said of being humble, of, you know, working on yourself and on your work and talent and just improving. So when that moment comes, you're prepared already. Yes. And, you know, we've had this wonderful conversation and I want you to reflect on what we've talked and what you've been through. And if you had the opportunity to be having little Jenny in front of you, what advice would you give her that, again, you would have wanted to have known at that age? Ooh, I mean, I feel like I'm still learning this. We're still trying to figure this all out. But don't waste your energy on the wrong things and people. Because I almost didn't follow my dream because of a relationship I was in in my late teens and early 20s. Um don't allow yourself to get swayed. I had a teacher tell me there was no way that you can be an actor and work in television. There's always going to be folks who try to 
steer you off the path or tell you you can't do something. Luckily, I still am where I am, but I almost fell into that trap where I decided not to follow acting or filmmaking. I was a graphic design major, which that obviously comes in handy, but I almost gave up on all of it because of an emotionally abusive relationship. Don't. Like, and this even applies to friendships. There are, again, there are energy suckers. There are people that are not there for you. And that's not to say these people are evil. Even our favorite villains on TV and film are multifaceted people. Even Thanos, right? Like in Marvel, everyone's like, well, you know what? I kind of understand why Thanos... (laughs) would want to wipe out some people. It's a little bad right now. But he was still a horrible person, you know. So everyone has their layers, and these people that hurt you, they have to figure out their own way. But you cannot let them take you down because people will try to take you down, especially when you have a lot of some like you have a bright personality, you have a bright future, you're talented, whatever it is. They want to take you down and i don't think that's something that they necessarily realize they're not they're not dr evil in a chair you know stroking their cat and going hmm i'm gonna take so and so down because i'm jealous but we're all trying to navigate this and it's very confusing and you just give your energy to the right people or save a lot of it for yourself and i still to this day make my mistakes and i give even when someone comes and attacks me on instagram or something i'll still try to write them and reason with them and sometimes it sometimes it works and sometimes i'm like why did i do that why did i waste my time trying to change someone's mind or get them to see a point of view you know i care too much i think it's like an empath problem so i think like that's something you need to work on little jenny um till this day but i've gotten better and it's it's wonderful that you've said everything and i feel like unconsciously people when they see talent and that that you're shining and that you found your passion your calling and they haven't yet they're kind of jealous and like want to take you down to their same level Mm -hmm. and i feel like a lot of people young people don't realize that and need to be reminded of that yeah i think it's especially sadly common amongst women um i think you need to remind look jealousy happens it's a normal human emotion it's a terrible human emotion but it happens to the best of us where you know you're feeling a little down about a certain aspect of your life whether oh man i'm single i wish i was in a relationship or oh man i wish i had a baby or i wish i had a dog or i wish xyz career and you look, especially nowadays, you're scrolling through Instagram and you look at that girl with her perfect body and clear skin. And then the next one is a woman happily nursing her baby. And then the next one is someone, you know, winning an award. And it's normal sometimes to feel this like pressure in your chest, like, oh, like I want that. I wish that was me. And I think that's perfectly normal where people go wrong to the point of allowing their jealousy to consume them and then hurt other people in the process is because they don't know how to separate feeling this tinge of jealousy and like, oh man, I wish that was me with the actual person. 
you have to realize, put yourself in that person's shoes and go, damn it, they deserve it. They worked really hard. I would love to be in their shoes. They must feel so happy right now attaining this thing. And feel happy for, like genuinely feel happy for that person in whatever part of life they're at that you wish you had, right? And then use it for the betterment of yourself. Like, okay, you know what? That's not me winning that award. But now I'm going to use that to motivate myself. You know, um, I know it, it applies differently depending on what it is. If it's like, I want a boyfriend or something, just feel happy for that person and just tell yourself my person's going to come along, you know, but don't feel these horribly negative emotions towards the person. You don't know what they've been through to get there. Yes. No one ever knows the pain and the struggle. And that's again, when I have reached out to some people, Again, maybe I shouldn't do that, but to like kind of have an eye to eye with them and they find out about my struggles and my autoimmune disease and all like how hard it's been to, to get here, they change real quick. They're like, oh, and I've had people tell me, I just thought your life was so perfect on, and and I really try my best not to like, I, it's so difficult, especially with Instagram, because you've got to get your numbers up. So then you got to post selfies and cute outfit photos because that's what does better. It's not because I'm vain. Sure, I like to feel myself sometimes. Like, we all should. Like, screw that, you know? We shouldn't feel shame for feeling pretty one day and taking a friggin' photo of ourselves. But I try my best through my Instagram stories to just show the real me. Like, even the way I am right now. Like, the way I look right now, I don't know what this is. I put... I, I didn't have time to really look cute. And I threw on, like, random clothing. That's really me every day. So when I do put on a cute outfit, I'm like, okay, David, take <laughs> take a photo of me because this is not the norm. Because uh, I am kind of a tomboy and I, I dress more sloppy, you know. I love fashion, but I don't always go out to dress cute. So there's just so much. It's such a psychological game, what we put out there. And I don't want young girls looking at my Instagram and going, she's so perfect. That's why I do talk about my acne and stuff because my skin looks better in these photos. And that's just not the reality of my face. Like I still have like scars and, and pimples and I use a good foundation. I'm, I don't know. Like, and I'm not trying to, not to say that you should bring yourself down every time someone compliments you like oh you have great hair well it's actually burned and i have split ends like no así tampoco but i think it's really important for content creators to really sh have a realistic side to them mm -hmm. you know because it it does get dangerous for younger girls to look it's like the equivalent of a magazine back in the day yeah. like teen bop or whatever and going dang like these girls look so perfect why is that not me we're living in a time, and I think that's why people really do get attracted to content creators because they're like, oh, that person could be my friend. Yeah. They look like me. You know, they like the same things I do. It's not this, like, celebrity. Retouched and, you know, yeah. fabricated. Which I know what happens with some influencers. I get it. Um, so this is just general advice for all influencers, whether you're starting or have already been in the game. Try to show a little bit of yourself. Because there are people looking up to you, and it's a positive thing, right? They look up to you, and they want to be you, but it can also be damaging and cause depression and anxiety because 
they're thinking is something wrong with me that my life isn't this perfect so i do like to share my struggles from time to time it's only human i think latinos oftentimes are raised very like hush hush don't say anything no que la gente no you know you don't want your you know people to know and i'm like for what nobody is perfect everyone has a messed up family member everyone has mental health issues health issues insecurities pimples you name it no, like you know what i mean yeah. i'm like Nobody's perfect and at the end of the day they're gonna forget that that bad thing happened i know so i just like i said it's just i think it's 2019 2020 and so on should be the year of just no pena like really everyone poops that's really what i say at the end of the day everyone poops even madonna so and it doesn't smell like roses so. it doesn't smell like roses and i you know everyone it's funny because with my crohn's i when i see my gastroenterologist because i go to cedar sinai and a lot of celebrities go to, go there she goes you'd be surprised how many celebrities have your condition but they won't say it if you type in google celebrities with crohn's you don't find that many people but then crohn's is a very common autoimmune disease of the stomach and it made sense. A lot of them don't come out about it uh, for whatever reason, either embarrassment, image, maybe their managers or PR, they're telling them, don't say anything about your you know, illness or whatever. And I'm just like, okay, I'm still hustling. I'm still working. You know what I mean? It's, but, but at the same time, you have to respect people. Like I haven't made a video about it or anything. People I'm sure want me to make a video about my Crohn's. I'm not ready to yet. So I do understand why so many celebrities have not come out about their chronic illnesses. And I applaud you because you may not have given, done a video of 15 minutes of explaining what you have, but you know, you're like, Oh, I have it. And it's life, but I'm still working and I'm still doing, making my dreams come alive. So, so yeah. And and I would love to continue this conversation, but I know you have to go. And Thank you. But where can our listeners follow you? Where, where can they support your Patreon? Um, where can they find everything so they can continue your uh, their support to you? So my handles are all over the place, but I have a website, JennyLorenzo.com. That's where you can find um, all my videos are there, uh, all my social media handles. But if you type Jenny Lorenzo on any of the platforms, you'll find me right away. That's the name of my YouTube channel. That's the name of my Patreon. Uh, so I'm pretty easy to find as long as you type my name. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you for being here. I'm, I love this conversation and I would love to have you back on, you know, yeah. the next project and talk about it and, you know, continue promoting you. And I feel, you know, you, when I was, you know, in Mexico studying communication and trying to find what I wanted to do you were one of the persons that I admired and I still admire your work. And I have to thank you for doing that and not quitting on your dreams. And I'm so happy to see you on Cartoon Network. It's like, I'm, it's like, you know, I'm like, I'm not your friend, but like, it's like, you know, a cheerleader. Like I love what you're doing and please don't stop. Please continue. And thank you for being here on AES. And I feel like our listeners are going to be really inspired to continue their dreams. And thank you. 
thank you so much for having me. And you're freaking dope. Your podcast is amazing. So I hope you get more and more subscribers as time goes on. I think Latino podcasts are starting to blow up and mm-hmm. show up on the radar more. So I really hope that it continues to take off because it's, it's wonderful what you're doing. You're making a big difference with your podcast. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you for listening to another episode on Ellas. You can listen to a new episode in two weeks. You can follow Ellas on Ellas the Podcast on Instagram or email me at Ellas the Podcast. That's at gmail.com. That's E-L-L-A-S, the podcast. If you want to share your story, please email. I would love to share it here on Ellas. And you can follow me at Bren underscore hi. That's B-R-E-N underscore J-A-I. And thank you again for listening. I'm Brenda Hernandez Jaimes, and this is a yes. If you've been listening to a yes for a while, you know that I'm a big supporter of providing a platform for Latinas to share their stories and inspire current and future generations of women. With that said, I'm looking to get this podcast into the lives of more amazing Latinas just like you. You can help by going to Apple Podcasts and write a review. Tell me what you think and leave any number of stars. It would mean the world to me. Thank you in advance. Ellas is produced, hosted, and edited by me, Brenda Hernandez Jaimes. And thank you to Shro, who created the podcast theme song, Sunken Streets. You can download this track on freemusic.org or listen to him on Spotify, YouTube, and follow him on Instagram. This is Ellas. <laughs>